Well, good evening, everybody. A late Merry Christmas to you guys. I love that you're the diehards, right? That you come to church two days after Christmas and then even after our big Christmas run. And thank you to the band. Thank you to everybody, Michaela, AJ in the back, for actually helping make this service happen because it is a big deal. There are a lot of them who have served and served and served throughout the Christmas season. So it is really a blessing. To all of our friends joining us online, take a picture and send us what your Going Deeper setup is. I'm curious how many of you are hanging out in PJs tonight. So take a picture of you and your PJs with your pets, hot cup of coffee or cocoa, whatever your fancy is. But shoot that out there. We'd love to see what you're doing. Now tonight, we will be wrapping up our four-week examination of the Gospel of Matthew. We have taken a bit of a thousand-foot view over the Gospel of Matthew thus far. We're not kind of deep in the weeds, and we're not just blasting through. We're just hovering over different spots. And I take it as a great honor and a privilege that you have allowed me to be your tour guide these past couple of weeks. This is something that I'm very passionate about. It is a huge blessing, and so in many, many ways, thank you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It is an opportunity that I never in a million years would have guessed that this would be something I could do. Now, starting next week, Reverend Shane will be back. So he is going to be back up in the pulpit. He will be taking you back down on ground level, looking at the scriptures. He's going to be moving into the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is fantastic. It is, in many ways, kind of that original uh, source material that many of the other Gospels are written, into, are written from. rather. And so he will guide you through. If you're looking for a way to really get involved in the Bible with something not too hard, something that's kind of easy to jump into, it is a great, great, great opportunity. So I would highly recommend starting your 2024 off in the Gospel of Mark with Reverend Shane. Invite a friend along the way. Now, before we take off, let's do a little bit of recap over what we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. The Gospel of Matthew, of course, was written to a Jewish audience specifically to explain how Jesus was the Messiah, not just a teacher, not just a prophet, but the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one by God. And along the way, he consistently shows how Jesus fulfills prophecies, over and over and over again. That's a theme that we specifically see in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, we begin those prophecies fulfilled first with the lineage, then we move on to his birth story, then we move on to his baptism where God himself opens the heavens and declares Jesus as his son. And so as we move here into chapter 4 now, the weather's shifting a bit. We're moving from all of this joy and celebration and excitement around Christ to now things are starting to get a little bit of turmoil. So we're going to go ahead and take off knowing that we're getting into a bit of a storm. So verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. All right, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Was Jesus tempted by the Holy Spirit? No, absolutely not. But this is a question that I've heard people ask. And this is something that I've actually heard people kind of hang their hat on a little bit too much, where they're like, well, obviously the Holy Spirit led him there, so the Holy Spirit is the one who's causing this temptation. No, 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 absolutely not. Absolutely not. No way. 
God will never tempt us, period. End of story. There's nothing else to add to it. God will never, ever tempt us. And there are people who buy into these lies that they say things like, well, God wants me to be happy and doing this thing, whatever that thing happens to be, makes me happy. So therefore, God wants me to give in to this temptation. And that is just a flat out lie. That's all that is. There is never a situation where God tempts us, and we see it specifically in Scripture here in James 1. It says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. So then the question becomes, who does tempt us? Yeah, we don't, right? It's a good thing, too. Uh, There are some people who would say, well, I have these crazy thoughts. I have sinful thoughts or I have tempting thoughts, so I must be the source of temptation, right? No, definitely not. Satan is the author of temptation. Think back to the Garden of Eden story, right? Did Eve go on a walk and just decide, I want to be like God? No, that's not what happens. She goes up, she's hanging out, and then who comes up? Who shows up? The serpent in the form of Satan, or Satan in the form of the serpent. And he's the one who plants that lie. He's the one who actually casts that seed of doubt in her mind. And so we have to remember that Satan, first and foremost, is the author of all temptation. But then why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted? Again, it's a good, simple question that we should ask. And if we don't understand the details of what's happening here, frankly, we can be led astray pretty quickly. The word temptation here isn't maybe what we expect when we read uh, nowadays or we look at it in a modern American cultural context. The word temptation here is more like a test or a trial. But it doesn't have a negative push around it either. This isn't like a test to prove somebody's going to fail or to prove somebody's wrong. It's actually quite the opposite. The test or the trial here is when it's proving that somebody has the integrity. In this case, Christ has the integrity to survive it. And these tests are something that you all, I'm sure, have faced many times before in your life. And it's sort of a part of our spiritual maturation, right? When I was first getting into ministry, uh, I faced a very severe point of uh, trial testing. Uh, it was brutal, uh, no question about it. It was, it was very severe, and through the grace of God, through the support of friends, through a lot of prayer, through my beautiful wife and my family supporting me, and the mentorship of Reverend Shane and Reverend Mike, I made it through the other side. And I'm thankful for that because now I'm significantly stronger, more resilient from that period. But these uh, tests and trials, they don't, they don't just stop once, right? Um, as I've said already, this service is something I'm very passionate about. It's something I love. It's affected me very deeply. And so when I had the opportunity to preach here for these four weeks, I was very, very, very excited. And I think, truly, I thank Reverend Shane because this is a blessing in many ways. And I know it's tough for him to give up the pulpit and something that he is so deeply passionate about as well. So anyway, I knew for sure, somehow, some way, there was going to be some spiritual warfare that hit. That, that's just sort of how it goes. And you get used to it over time. 
Well, <laughs> spiritual warfare hit me the Monday before week one of preaching this series. Yeah, it gets worse. <laughs> Uh, so it was like any other Monday. Monday mornings, I tend to go to coffee with a couple of really close buddies. Uh, we hang out. We just kind of catch up over the week. We talk life. We talk faith, all the good stuff, right? So getting up, getting ready, feel totally fine. About 10 minutes later, I'm just not feeling right. Not bad, just not feeling right. So I text him and say, hey, I'm going to be a little bit late. I'm just going to take me a little extra time. Well, a little bit after that, the pain kicks in, like bad pain, <laughs> where it's like, this is not good. This is really not good. I went from like this, totally normal, everything's fine, to now being on the ground, rolling, trying to catch my breath because of the pain. So I call or text one of my good friends who is at coffee. I'm like, hey, I need you to take me to the ER. Something's up. So he was only maybe five, ten minutes away. In the time <laughs> I texted him, and before he got to my house, I was like, nope, we're calling an ambulance. Uh, just imagine a lot of pain and can barely catch my breath and bad things going on. So in <laughs> uh, what felt like nine millennia later, the ambulance finally showed up and gets me to the hospital and all that stuff. And thankfully, during this time, uh, I kind of had an idea what was going on. Uh, I was having my very first kidney stone. <clears throat> right. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. So... For those of you who've never had a kidney stone, God bless you, and I hope and pray you never do. Uh, let me describe it here. There's, there's a couple of ways I'd describe it. Another staff member here at the church, they described it like having barbed wire pulled through your body. That's pretty accurate. Uh, that's number one. The other one is one that is similar just because of my background. Um, it's like taking a stun gun or like think like a shock collar for a dog. Max it then tape it to your body for a couple of hours. That, that's, that's pretty accurate. Um, some people have said, a lot of people have said, well, passing kidney stone or whatever is a lot like labor and delivery for women. Um, I would say, at least from a man's perspective, that some of that is definitely true. Uh, my wife and I, as some of you know, we have five beautiful kids, and I was there for all five of their deliveries. And my wife is amazing. She's a saint. And she went completely natural, no pain medication, no Tylenol, no nothing for all of our kids. And so I've had the experiencing of witnessing natural childbirth a couple of times. And being in the ER with the kidney stone uh, was similar. <laughs> I will say it like that. There was the gnashing of teeth. There was the, like, can't open my eyes, shaking, hyperventilating, like, growling and yelling in pain and all of that kind of stuff. All of it was very similar, except for two really important details. There's no breaks with the kidney stone. The, the contractions in labor are very real, and they're very painful, and I'm not downplaying labor and delivery for ladies. It's, it's rough. I, I've witnessed that. But there's no break with that. The other really important detail is, after all the pain of a kidney stone, you don't get a child. There's no baby that comes out. There's no like, yay, praise the Lord. It's just like, okay, we're still in this. Ah, so that was Monday. And so they finally got some medicine in me, got me roughly feeling okay, and sent me home. And so Tuesday, I hung out on the couch, did a whole lot of nothing. And then Wednesday came, and I still hadn't passed this down. <laughs> and so Wednesday shows up. And it was about, I don't know, 9.30, 10 o'clock that morning, and I made a decision. 
I made a decision that I was going to preach because I knew I had to. I knew that on some level, this was a test. This was a trial that I had to go through. And it was something that it was important to me. And I thought to myself a lot, if I don't preach, when is this ever going to stop? When is Satan ever going to get off my back and let me do what God has called me to do? And so we need to remember that as difficult and sometimes extremely painful as these trials are, that they forge us, that they help us to become more resilient to spiritual warfare, that they can actually be there to improve and grow us and to understand how truly we can rely on the Lord. That was something that I just kept hammering myself over and over with, and all of this mess was going, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And that's all I kept telling myself. Because I knew that to be true. Because I knew he had called me here, and on some level he was going to provide. Didn't know what that looked like. And so, that Wednesday night, I got up here and truly, God be praised, uh, I was able to stand up in front of you with a kidney stone ripping its way through my body. I have no idea how it happened, but praise God. Because there's no way I could do it under my own power. And so, again, when we think about these trials, these tests these temptations, we need to remember that we can learn from them. We can grow from them. And that is what we're going to be doing here tonight in our scriptures specifically with Christ. Jesus is going to face a time of testing, of trial, of temptation. And he's actually going to show us, give us a battle plan for how to overcome these things and how to be resilient towards them. And so as we dive in more into the scriptures tonight, I want you to be thinking about this As you move forward into a new year, what are the areas that you need to have a battle plan for? What are your temptations? What are your struggles? What are the ways that you know you could be taking ground for the Lord? So without any more, let's look at this masterclass, truly masterclass of how Jesus handles temptation. Verses 2 and 3. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came and said to him, If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. After 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Think about that. Have any of you done a 40-day fast? Uh, I have not. I do know people who have uh, and who have completed a 40-day fast. So yes, it is possible. But after this fast, Jesus would be malnourished. He would be lacking energy. Frankly, he just wouldn't be at his best. And that's exactly the point. That's when Satan's going to show up. Right then. Satan is not going to show up when you're at at your best. Satan is going to show up and attack you when you are at your weakest. When you're worried. When you're anxious. When you're depressed. When you're facing a ton of stress. or You're getting pushback from people you know and love. Satan is always going to attack us when he has the best chance of winning a fight. He's not going to attack you when you're deep in worship, or he's not going to tempt you when you have a whole team of people praying for you. Let's get realistic. Satan's many things, but he's not stupid. So we need to remember here that Satan is going to attack you. That's implied in this scripture. So don't lose sight of that. If you're hoping that, oh, I'll just never be tempted again, that's not realistic. Okay. Now, what I find interesting about this passage here is kind of the normality of it all like it's so simple 
Jesus is here, he's doing his thing, and then boom, Satan shows up and offers a solution, right? Well, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? Seems easy enough, right? Why, why would this be hard for you, for all people? You're the son of God. Why don't you just, you know, feed yourself? And we have to think about what's the real temptation here. The temptation's not the food, okay? To eat is not a sin. And even doing food miracles is not a sin. We see that multiple times in the scripture, right? Jesus turns water into wine. He feeds the thousands. He overwhelms the nets with fish. So food miracles is something actually that Jesus does quite a bit. So what's the temptation? The temptation is to use his God-given powers for selfish reasons. Satan knows full well that he can do miracles. Satan is fully aware of the capabilities and the qualities of this divine Jesus. And he's trying to tempt him to use them for personal and selfish gains. And that's something we never, ever see in the scriptures. Jesus is not there to take care of himself. He's there to sacrifice for the rest of the world. Satan will often offer us a solution to one temptation with another temptation. He's going to offer us a way out of one sin by committing another sin. This would be like somebody who wants to stop drinking so they start smoking or whatever. They give in to one angle for another angle. Again, this is where we have to be really, really careful. And this is why we need to study the scriptures. We need to look at it. We need to pay attention to how we specifically are attacked. We need to rely upon God. And that is exactly what Jesus does here. Verse 4. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I love this scripture. This is truly one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Uh, But we do need to understand that this is actually not the most accurate biblical translation. Uh, I did a lot of digging on this, and if you look at almost every single other translation, you don't have the word no here. Uh, There are actually a number of devices in Greek that would allow this. It's not in this one. And so we need to recognize sometimes translations aren't always the most accurate. With that said, though, I like this translation the best because it provides really good, solid, practical advice on how to deal with temptation. Just say no. We need to emphatically say no to the temptations and sins in our life. Many sins would stop if we just said no to the temptation. And that's a very, very good thing to do in our lives. And as a father with five kids, uh, I get a lot of practice at saying no. And so I want you to think about it from that perspective, right? When you tell somebody no, are they like, oh, thank you for your wisdom? No, of course not. (laughs) They get upset. They get frustrated. We're doing the same thing here except to Satan. When you tell Satan no, get him frustrated. He's got enough problems of his own. Let him deal with it. So whatever it is that you are dealing with, get used to saying no to temptation. Take some of that ground back, okay? Now, secondly, and more importantly, and this gets back into accurate biblical translation here, Jesus responds with scripture. How are you responding to the temptations in your life? Now, Christ here, he looks at Deuteronomy 8.3. The entire verse reads, Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, 
a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So notice that Jesus doesn't just pick some random scripture and then throw it right back at Satan. Very important. Whatever your temptations are, you need to respond with a scripture that makes sense and replies in kind. So as an example, let's say as somebody who's had this struggle in the past, let's say you struggle with anger, right? You could respond with something like Proverbs 14.29. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Respond with a direct scripture to the temptation. Get very detailed. We see this consistently from Christ. If you have a temptation or a struggle and you don't know a scripture, go to Google. And if you don't know what Google is, Google it, okay? You can take that up, look for scripture to deal with blank, whatever that happens to be, okay? The point is, God offers life and he offers sustenance through the word. Utilize it. It's that weapon that we have available to us. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Notice what Satan did here. He quotes scripture. All right? Let's put this verse in context. Because Satan is really good at manipulating the truth, right? He's a pro. He's the father of lies. And a good lie always comes with a hint of truth. So let's look at this in context. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. That's Psalm 91. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. Now, let me ask you a serious question. Who knows Scripture better, us or Satan? Yeah. We have to dig into the Word because it's so easy to see something, to take something out of context, to not look at the details of the Word, and then now all of a sudden we're taking something that's holy and perfect by the Lord and we're using it in a way that actually dishonors Him. We've got to be very, 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 very careful, folks. And we have to make sure that what we're hearing, what we're seeing, what we're reading on social media accurately represents the Bible. And then in our personal lives, we can use those to better resist temptation. Verse 7, Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. So again, Jesus responds to the temptation directly with scripture. But again, what exactly is the temptation here? The temptation is, again, for Jesus to use his given power, his his identity as God's son and as cherished, to test whether God will protect him. He's essentially putting the Lord to the test, is what he's saying. And that is not what we should do, especially as his kids, right? Do not put God to the test. We are the creation not the creator. And let's always keep ourselves in line of where that needs to be. Miracles, though. 
sometimes we want God to perform a miracle, right? Sometimes we pray for, we ask for miracles, and we need to be very prayerful, very discerning of if what we're asking for honors the Lord. So we don't want to put the Lord to the test. We don't want to ask God for something that goes against his will. And even with best intentions, sometimes these can go awry. We just need to make sure that we're doing the right stuff. We're putting our heart in the right place when we're thinking about these miracle prayers. Pray for miracles. I mean that. Pray big. Pray for big, gigantic miracles in your life and the life of others, but also make sure that it's in right alignment with God. Because Satan, he wants to test our boundaries. He wants us to try and test God because he knows if he pushes us just a little bit too far, we might go over the edge. And if we go over the edge, then he has a chance to get us. Moving on. Verses 8 and 9. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. And now we cut to the chase. There's always an angle with Satan. Satan doesn't just want to hurt you. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to take everything good from you. And he's going to continually tempt with these tiny little pieces until he can finally sink his teeth on you and kill you. And we're starting to finally see this now. His plan here with Christ is to take Christ away from God. All he has to do is worship Satan. And give up everything. It's crazy. This is the trap of sin. This is the trap of temptation. It's never what it looks like on the surface. Reverend Shane says it really well. It's a candy-coated drain ball. Looks great on the outside. Then you get deep inside, and it will kill you. But Jesus, of course, he has the simple, best response. Get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Get out of here, Satan. This needs to be our inherent built-in response to temptation. Because there is a point where enough is enough. We've just had it up to here and we want to just kick him out. And again, when we read scripture, we need to add emotion to it, right? There's an exclamation point in the scripture. That's important. So when you read this passage, don't be like, get out of here, Satan. No, (laughs) this is not the blonde hair, blue eye, frail Jesus who's just kind of hanging there. That's not the Jesus we're talking about here. We're talking to like Revelation Jesus coming back and kind of wiping sin out. This is a lot more like, get out of here, Satan, like with some emotion, with frustration, with anger, righteous anger, because Satan's trying to ruin his life. We need to have that same kind of emotion. We need to have that same kind of energy and a power and authority that God gives us to tell Satan to get out of our lives. We have to take that ground back. Too many folks, myself included, for a long time would just be kind of haphazard about kicking Satan out the door. No, he's not somebody you want hanging around. He is a lion that's going to try and kill you. So be like Christ here. Kick him out. Tell him to be gone. We don't have to win the fight. That's not the point. The fight's not ours to win. Ours is much, much simpler. We just have to resist the devil and John 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. 
Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. If we place our loyalty with God, he will be there to protect us. He will be there to take care of us. And as well, we will learn how to resist the devil and he will flee. Now, verse 11. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. I love this scripture. I love this scripture so, so much. You know what this says to me? Right here. Then the devil went away. Satan's a quitter. He can't take it. If you just stand there and take his garbage enough, he'll just leave. Frankly, he'll find somebody else that's an easier target. Be a hard target. Just resist. It doesn't say that we have to beat him. We're not going to beat him at his game. We don't have to. That's not our job. That's Christ's job. He takes care of all that. Go read Revelation. It's in the back of the book. You'll figure it out. We just have to resist. We have to stand firm in those things. And then on the other side of temptation, angels came and took care of him. Have you ever been trapped in temptation and then miraculously something comes in and takes care of you? Where it's just like all the stress, the anxiety, the worry, the fear, the whatever is there and then boom, something changes. Just on the other side of that temptation, you have peace, you have comfort, you have joy. That is exactly what this is. When heaven opens up, God sends his angels to come and take care of us. I've experienced this. And yes, it's absolutely incredible. So what do we do? We say no to temptation. Respond with scripture. That makes sense. If you need help with that, you can always email me. Tell Satan to leave you alone. Kick his butt out the door. And then stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. 1 Corinthians, it's great scripture. And this here is the plan that Jesus used to resist the devil. Take this plan into the new year, guys. Allow this to be something that you can utilize in your life for whatever your temptation is. And there's plenty of them out there. Maybe you're tempted to be anxious. Maybe you're tempted to be fearful or to worry. Maybe you're tempted towards anger. Maybe you're tempted towards road rage. Good knows. It's easy to do that this time of year. Like, whatever the temptation is, resist. Start the process. Start the practice of saying no responding with scripture, turning to prayer, standing firm, casting Satan out. Take this as something that needs to be practiced. This is an action that needs to be done. It's not something that comes naturally. Go into the new year and achieve your goals. Set them. Stand firm into them. As we wrap up, again, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be your tour guide. It is a blessing. And now we're going to be landing here at the foot of an exciting new journey at the hill of the Gospel of Mark. And so, again, Reverend Shane, he's going to be your trail guide. He's not going to move quite as quickly across the terrain. He's going to slow down, take things verse by verse by verse. And for those who are, of you who are astute, you might notice, hey, we didn't finish chapter 4. You are correct, because where we've ended here with chapter 4 in Matthew, we will start to see pick up in chapter 1 of Mark. And so I hope that you guys have had a uh, blessed opportunity here to go through the Gospel of Matthew. I hope you've learned a few things along the way. I hope you've enjoyed the scenery. And I promise you that the next adventure in the Gospel of Mark will be just as fulfilling and it will be a powerful experience for you. 
So now would you please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are good. Lord, you are amazing. You are, you are our ability to resist temptation when it's hard. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight who's struggling with temptation in their life, whatever that happens to be, I hope that they now have a battle plan built from Christ himself to be able to fight back against the lies, to be able to push away against the evil that tries to take hold. Lord, we pray your blessing over them. Pray that you would freshen their armor, that you would give them strength to go into this new year with fire in their heart, with a passion, with the power of the Holy Spirit among them to be able to do a mighty thing and to do it in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.